I want to eat my opponent for breakfast. Listen to this guy. He's got magic to do. I know. I'm, I I recently got into prestidigitation. Prestidigitation. Um, this guy's got. So yeah, I got magic card tricks. I got card tricks to do, and by card tricks, I mean card tricks on my opponents. What are we doing? Oh, just regular thing. Just regular jamper. I was I was looking. I was. Are we supposed to like do game of the year? Yeah, we got to get that together. Well, I'm trying to get people, but it's been harder. Um, no one's gonna do that. No, people will. They don't. They're, they don't do it. You they're make quitters. Man. You you know what they always say: make a podcast and they will come. They don't say that. They say that, especially if it's an erotic podcast. But no one says that. Well, they do. Uh, but when I was listening to the prediction cast, there was so much juicy juicy shit that I could not possibly just go along with this. Because I I need to do my homework before we do predictions because this we we have such funny predictions um are they uh, real some of them really worked out in an interesting way um just quickly like you had said that destiny is going to get really good after uh an expansion which isn't a wild prediction but it turned out really well i guess it's kind of like a cold reading kind of thing where you're basically if you, if you say enough of an open thing like hey this expansion is going to be good then when it's good and you listen back on it you think wow okay they knew this is wild no no game of the year no predictions we're almost in february i know well see here's the cool thing though if we push back predictions far enough then we'll be able to perfectly predict everything i don't know if i like that i'm going to get i'm going to i'm going to move things hold on let me there you go that's the way it's supposed that to be. Doesn't feel right. What did you move? The feng shui is on. My microphone. Okay. This is the real James Mason. This is Am I speaking to the real James? James Mason in 2019. Can I speak to James Mason in 2019? What is James saying? What does James say about this? I have to respond to my boss. One sec. Is that the See, real James Mason? This is why Mason? we don't get anything done because okay. uh, we have to work, right? Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. I work a lot. I I work a lot, and then when I'm not working, I'm busy. So we're doing a regular podcast, which feels weird. It does feel it weird. It feels weird because it feels like like there's unfinished business, and, and it almost feels like it's too late, right? It's too late to do Game of the Year. No, it's not. It's not too late to apologize. Too late, right? It's never too late. I don't even remember what came out in 2018 anymore. I know. Because I'm already trying so hard to just play these 2019 games yeah i mean the thing about 2018 game of the year is like i don't know I, we, we we need i want the extra people because i'm just so disinvested in who it are these the people part. i need uh, to know who these people are i mean we last year we had our gal j mac and s kill but unfortunately Do i tried any to get of them play video games? I, they play video games all the time i, I assume but uh with uh s kill uh i wanted to have sean on again because we haven't had him in, in so long and yet he was a such a staple to uh wtdg before the year of our lord 2018 um you know so many things in the world got worse and in a small way wtdg got worse because we just got one less voice to derail conversations and i wanted to try and get him especially for predictions because he was on the prediction podcast and i could not yep it's just that, did anyone actually play, like, multiple games last year? Because I feel like Sean probably played Magic, and 
Galloway probably played Overwatch and Quake and some fighting games. All right, well, we'll and, we'll uh, we'll do that. We'll do the uh the board the game of the year next week. We'll see. Okay, we'll see. I don't trust you just yet. I understand why. So it's a cold January, and it's that's freezing. a great time to play video games. Yeah, I've been playing a lot of video games, uh, a lot of different games. All right, and I'm excited to hear what you've been up to. Um, just uh, just here's and ends and odds and ends and here's and what's it's, for the most part. Um, I've been playing uh, Path of Exile. I've been playing a lot of Magic the Gathering Arena. I've been playing... You're playing a lot of guild games as a service. Yeah, I've been playing uh, Mario Kart because my SO and her roommates, my LTCP and her roommates uh, love that. Um, And we played Jackbox. uh, What was it? Jackbox 5, I think. Uh, Or Jackbox 2 Um, uh, the other day. That was good. A lot of still playing a okay, fairish amount of Smash, surprisingly. Um, Overcooked. That that is something that I played a fair amount since the last time we talked. So I guess there's there's some games there, but nothing that's like new and buck wild. You know, nothing that's like oh, I got to talk to you about this for the most part. You know, got to get into these buck wild games then. So let's talk Path of Exile. You know, uh, that's a great game. We like that game. I'm approaching 1,300 hours. Uh, I still think this is the best league, you know? I think it's a pretty uh, good league. I, f- I feel like I have issues, which I maybe not related to the league. It might just be related to the way that you're interacting with this league, which is uh, you're pretty far behind, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's tough, right? Because I get to end game in, in a weekend. I get to end game in about two sittings. And it's it's taken you a while to get there. So I, I think because of this, you and I probably have really different perspectives on what this league is like. Yeah. Because I spend so much time uh, in maps, and you spend a lot of time... Not in maps. Uh, ...leveling. Yeah. Leveling. I mean, I... Do you kill the monsters, or do you just walk by them? Uh, I mean, I'm walking walk by, by I'm, them, you know? I, I kill them fairly fast. Here's, here's some of my issues or here's like the, the stem of this. And this is definitely a time where this is the first league that I've gone through in the Academy where I'm basically busy all the time, um, where it doesn't feel like I have the appropriate amount of free time sometimes to play. Um, if you don't have a lot, like a, if I don't have like a long sitting to play, I don't really want to do it that much. Um, and also, uh, I got to the point where my build had slowed down a lot. Uh, overall, this is definitely, it, it, this is a general problem with some leagues where regardless of the league mechanic being good or not, if I don't get, you know, a good item or an exalted orb or something early on, uh, sometimes it can stagnate so much uh, of my build and slow me down a lot. If it's not a build that basically requires nothing like some builds you'll play and they require absolutely nothing for my build um i'm doing winter orb cast while channeling ice spear and it's a really cool concept the concept is that as you're channeling uh the winter orb uh it's this orb that that floats over your head and splashes little ice bolts yeah all around it so mm mm-hmm and uh, it stacks up to 10 while you're sitting there channeling. And then as you're not channeling or moving around, uh, the stacks slowly fall off. 
Uh, and then the other so, thing, the thing yeah. that it's comboing with is that while it's channeling, uh, you can also direct ice spears, which is kind of your like your main damage. So like, yeah, it's it's hitting with these winter orb splash uh, ice bolts, and then you're throwing ice spears. Um, so it's a really interesting concept. It's definitely different than something I've played before, but uh, I was just struggling with being really killable and that is especially bad in this league because it, it just wasn't fun. Like I, I'm having a hard time uh, dealing with a lot of the league centric mechanics, the betrayal league centric mechanics. Um, I've noticed like a lot, I'll just be playing and then uh, uh, betrayal league people will jump into my map. And when that happens, I'll just die. Usually like I just struggle so hard with staying alive while they're like leaping all around the place and hitting me for yeah, half my health. So so I feel like this is a problem with the build because from what I understand about Winter Orb, uh, the stacks don't fall off exactly because if they're set to 10 and then you move a little bit and then you just channel a little bit, it refreshes all of those stacks. Is that correct? Because um, that's what I understand. No. <clears throat> Are you sure about that? Yeah, they fall off slowly. Um, the The way that I see it working is that you have a set amount of of basically your um like what is it like skill duration um like it's augmented by skill duration but i think it starts out being like let's say like 3 seconds where when you cast the winter orb uh over the course of like 3 seconds it'll basically start to fall off um and it'll fall off like faster basically um, and now I have like eight seconds uh, because of different passive skills, so it yeah. falls off a little bit slower. But uh, I mean, but if it's if it's at ten though, and you press the button once more, it refreshes all ten of those stacks. Um, Does I'm it not, not? I'm not sure. Because I'll, I think I'll, I'll check it because out. Because with Blade Vortex, every cast is an independent cast. So if you cast Blade Vortex and Blade Vortex lasts for uh, 10 seconds, and it takes you 10 seconds to charge up Blade Vortex, the first stack is going to fall off before uh, the next stack like is summoned. But with Winter Orb, it doesn't work like that. Uh, essentially, you have to cast a lot less with Winter Orb. And because of that, I actually think cast while channeling is a bad idea and a dangerous idea, because if you play cast while channeling, it sort of forces you to stand still. And standing still is really bad and really dangerous. I mean, for the most part, I, I've thought about that, but it's not super different than some of the stuff you would do anyway. Like, you get some... Well, sure. Yeah, like, the, I, I mean, but, but you you're, 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 you're still moving. Like, you're not just sitting there all the time. Like, you, you when you look at other spells, like, I like Arc a lot, for example, and Arc is something where... You, every time you cast the arc, you're standing in place to do that animation. So this is something where you you still get to uh, like throw a couple ice spears and stack your ice your winter orb a little bit, and then you flame dash away and then start doing that again. Like I'm still moving. But isn't the benefit of winter orb that you can be killing things while you're moving? And shouldn't that be like your main way of of staying alive? Um. I don't know. You'd still you'd still have to stop to to channel, right? 
Yeah, but you this only is... have to refresh. Like, that's what I'm saying is if you're smart, then you only need to stop once every eight seconds to hit the button once and then it refreshes all the stacks yeah but it doesn't see at at the point at this moment i don't know if it would be a good enough high damage dealing thing well I, cast wall channeling uh takes up a socket yeah right? and so and does ice, ice spear so yeah if i had a bunch of other modifying gems then maybe it, it would be better this is i'm just going with builds like this is a popular build for sure uh yeah, I mean that's th those are just my thoughts. I know that a lot of people are making builds at this point for it, uh, and a lot of people also, I don't know, castwell channeling is hard because uh, I feel like you don't want to run castwell channeling until you have like six sock six links because you're losing so much damage in having that slotted in. Yeah. So I wouldn't run it without a tabula. Or without a six link. That's what I was looking for. That's what I've definitely been looking for is like trying to get a tabula early. But even that is like kind of pros uh, cost prohibitive because I'm getting so little currency right now. You know, this is actually the first league that I six linked something by myself. I actually six, link six linked uh, two items by myself this league. <laughs> wow. Um, the reason is that they have the, the syndicate now. And one of the syndicate members allows you to bring the quality of an item um, above 20%. So you can bring uh, an item to 28% quality. And I don't know if you know this, but it's actually easier to link items that have higher quality. I didn't know that. So if, if you have an item at 20% quality, you're more likely to six link it. Uh, so with bringing the quality up to 28, you're even more likely to six link it. So that's been pretty cool. I uh, spent, I think, 700 fusings on each of them. Wow. I mean, worth Pretty it, I guess, stuff. right? Definitely worth it. Definitely worth it. Uh, it's been Probably a one of the best things you can actually week. get is this is like a is like a item that's already good but has a six link. Yeah, uh, this is the first league I've killed Shaper. I'm actually uh, I, I have like farming methods that are giving me like uh, about three exalts an hour, and exalts are worth like 180 uh, chaos right now. So wow. I'm like 500 or so chaos an hour. That's the high. On that's my, that's like more than double the highest I've ever seen exalts be worth. It's really crazy, and the reason is that um, there a lot of people are actually just using exalted orbs to craft this league. So there's there's fewer exalted orbs in the market because they're so valuable in crafting. There have been a couple of times that I actually just slammed an item with an exalted orb this league. That's buck wild. I, was just like, I can't even imagine yeah, what I've that got, would be like. I've got an exalted orb, and then I just hit an item with it and uh, ruin the item. And yeah, that's it. That's See, how it goes. That's always the thing with with path is like there's so many aspects to the game that I'll basically never see that are just like the ten thousand hours in one league kind of thing where you just have enough exalted orbs to fuck around with an item. Like I'll never have that. Honestly, the the way that it is though is like Path of Exile is a game that you get exponentially better at. So like it's a, it's a ramp that starts off like really smooth but after after a certain point every character that you make you're exponentially getting better at the game yeah so, i feel i feel like i'm I, uh it, you helped me out a little bit and after i got my second ascendancy now i'm kind of uh, like I, I was slowing down a lot where it was getting really hard to kill stuff and now i'm i'm pretty fast uh, especially since i'm running like multiple heralds at the same time that's really fun um it is but yeah. uh it's yeah um 
it's a it's been a weird league so far until today i'm kind of like i got uh more of a a burst thanks to you but uh i definitely slowed down a lot with this league just because i i feel like it, it's definitely something where where the beginning part requires a, a a little bit of investment before you start having fun and when you don't have a lot of time that's not always a good investment Honestly, the easiest way to level a character is I, I just, when I'm making a character, I, I sort of keep a sheet of at this level, I'm going to buy this unique. Uh, or you just play a build that's made for solo self-found, which is not a lot of builds. And, and then you just level with whatever. But a lot of builds and uh, usually not spell builds. Usually this is like, usually spell builds, you can sort of equip whatever and all that matters is the gem level. But especially when you're playing like, a ranger or like uh, a melee character, there are certain items that you want to equip as soon as possible. And there are also ways it's just like, oh, my my elemental resistances are bad, so I buy a gold rim. And it's like just having knowledge about which, uh, which unique items you can buy on the spot to sort of shore up some of your issues is always good. And most of them, like especially this late into the league, like after the first week, all of the all of the common unique items are like a chaos or a couple alchemy orbs. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy, yeah. So I beat Shaper, and he was a lot easier than I thought he would be. And all that's left really is a Uber Elder. Yeah, well, I guess sometimes when you get there, if like you're ready to get there, then sometimes you're ready to beat it. Yeah, this is also the easiest it's ever been to sustain maps, and maps are so much cooler now because you're always running into. Uh, like Alva, and you're always running into Einhar. Uh, the Syndicate encounters, once you figure out how they work, they feel really cool. I'm still not uh, there, but like, now, they, they seem a little too arcane at the moment for me. Yeah, and, and they're, they were definitely overtuned, specifically like the fortifications, where it was just like spawning tons of monsters, and there were just like lasers that would one-shot you. But that's less of a problem now. I think that they've that they've got the balance just right. And this is also the first league where I fully interacted with crafting, where I'm like searching maps for like specific crafting bases and and like using like like the 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 crafting rework is like such a massive success. Yeah, I re- I really do like that. But how do you how do you like craft more? Because the only times I'm really getting a chance to craft is the uh, syndicate items. Well, there's a crafting table now. Okay, so that's and how you that's how you craft. One, there's only one crafting table, and all of the crafts are built into it. And based on what modifiers you unveil, uh, those become available for you on all of your items to craft. Okay. So you might unveil an item and it just so happens that you got like can apply an additional curse. And then you've unveiled essentially like a super rare, super effective uh, modifier that you can then craft on any piece of gear going forward, provided that it has uh, an open affix to craft on. And that's pretty neat. And then there are also certain crafts that you just get through playing the game. Uh, mm-hmm. So as you delve... For example, the further down you delve, you'll find more uh, socketing and linking recipes and uh, gem coloring recipes uh, for your gear. Okay. And if you do the Pale Council, uh, you will find the crafting modifiers for uh, cannot roll caster mod, cannot roll um, 
attack mods, uh, block prefix, block suffix, all of those uh, metacraft mods and things like that. So pretty neat. Path of Exile is a good game. Uh, I, 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 I might slow down a bit once I hit 24 challenges. But I also like the idea of w one thing that I'm trying to get faster at in Path of Exile is I'm trying to figure out how to level faster. So I might just use any of the leftover time this league before the next league starts, sort of just acclimating myself to faster uh, leveling strategies. It's always crazy, like when if you log into Path, like the day a new expansion comes out, just like by the time I leave Act 1, somebody is already leaving like Act 3. I'd like to... I'd like to loosen that gap, like tighten that gap up a bit. Yeah. So that's Path. So you've been playing Magic the Gathering, and they just released a, is it Guilds of Ravnica? Ravnica? It's, I think it's Alliance. Ravnica Alliance, Alliance or something? Yeah. yeah. Allegiance? Hold on, let me... Allegiance. Allegiance. Ravnica. Gu Guilds of Ravnica was the, the last Ravnica one. Allegiance. Ravnica Allegiance, is that it? You already got it? Yep, Ravnica Allegiance. Um, yeah, so that that was a cool moment when it came out for Magic the Gathering Arena, and I really like Magic the Gathering Arena. That's kind of the mid thing I've been playing the most of for the past couple or for the past month or two. Um, and it's cool, definitely welcome to have a big uh, new expansion. I was kind of kind of wondering like when those would come out for uh, the. Uh, magic the gathering arena and i guess it comes out basically the same time that the physical one comes out uh the cards are pretty cool lots of new keywords and it's certainly i think one thing that is really cool about the way that magic the Gathering arena works is that there's lots of modes um and usually that's a bad thing but uh in this case they they have a player base that sustains it pretty well um and one of the things that i really like is drafting only new expansion cards that's a pretty cool thing to uh acclimate you should not only like make you excited to play with new cards you've never seen before and see how they work and what kind of situations they work in uh but also to uh like play only be playing those cards and is, and, is and drafting you, free um drafting does isn't free but you get all the cards you get Okay, that's that's cool. Yeah, so um, the sealed Ravnica mode, uh, which is the thing that I play that I've been playing mostly, is like it opens up. I want to say like seven decks or something for two thousand gems, which is like you can get gems through uh, things in the game, but I think if you only paid money, it would be a little bit of money. It's like maybe like twenty actually, um, but you can well, you can get back get, the and how many. And how many packs do you get? Seven. Seven packs for twenty bucks doesn't feel like a lot. Well, it would be more. Yeah, it would be more if you didn't do the sealed. I think you would get uh, uh quite a bit more if you uh didn't play with the sealed draft. I think some of that is just the fact that you're playing draft that you're like entering yourself into that game mode, and then also the rewards. Uh, will sometimes if you do pretty well you can usually get back almost the entirety of it I, about like half of my runs end with me either making back the amount of gems or uh going over and having a net positive so a lot of times i'll just like if i if i if i get a good draft then uh i end up not having paid at all for it and i just can do another draft okay yeah uh so 
Uh, I haven't spent any money on that game. So far, all I've done really is I, I got the free stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that's a good, I think that's a smart play for a while is like, just do that kind of stuff. Because before, uh, I, I, you, you had said to me that you felt like, uh, the game was kind of like intimidating and that you didn't understand that you were thinking like, oh, I don't even know how I would begin to make a deck. And I told you like, yeah, definitely don't think about that because you, there's just too many cards and, uh, too many sets to draw on. So, uh, even thinking yeah. about like making a deck from scratch is insane, but they give you tons of cards just by playing the game and they give you pre-made decks and that will teach you like, okay, so here's the concept of this deck. And then maybe after that you can go in and knowing the colors the deck is made of and what the primary focus of the deck is, you can kind of modify it for what you want or, you know, put in cards that more of the cards you think are working or take out cards you think are like, kind of throw in and don't really work well for it um because like i'm at the point where after a a long time of playing after quite a long time of playing um i have a good sense for every card in the game and i and it's and i for the most part would be able to think of like okay so i'm building this deck what are cards that i like that are of that color or or synergize with that that uh with these these cards so I, I can kind of do that more after yeah. a long, long time. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if a trading card game is what I need in my life right now. As as someone who is like looking at my current game library, and like in a way, Path of Exile fills the slot of of like, oh, I have like a free five minutes. It's like okay, I'll go into Path of Exile. I'll do like a couple of delves or I'll run one map. And like, that's kind of, that fills up that time for me. Yeah. I think that's better at end game path, but that hasn't been true for me. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you, but, but also, I don't know. You can make some pretty steady progress in path. It's all about move speed. That's what it's about. You just stack move speed. Um, Uh, So what else? Playing a lot of other games too. Uh, I've been playing, well, I, I played this game called Kenshi you heard of this no i don't think so so kenshi is a game that is made by a a pretty independent studio i think it was like it was originally one guy uh and then he brought up a team of maybe like seven to twelve people uh i think he built kenshi over 12 years so i i guess the the best way to describe kenshi uh in in layman's terms would be dwarf fortress um meets the original fallout or something like that maybe that's not maybe that's not just there yet but essentially what it is is it is a free roaming uh squad based rpg so it's a giant open-ended sandbox uh you start the game by choosing uh what kind of background you want so one background might be you are a lone wanderer in which case you start out with like one guy in a town with a little bit of money and he's nobody one start might give you a dog one start might give you a very powerful ancient sword uh but also a very large bounty on your head so essentially from there uh you are sort of at the whim of whatever you want uh there are quests that you can take on and factions uh that you can sort of like align with and 
there like there are tons of factions and essentially there are all these different interactions between factions and because of the way that the game is super open-ended you could actually like wipe a faction off of the face of the map and like let's say that you somehow become strong enough to take over the holy city then it might be that you might take over the holy city yourself and move in your maybe you have like an army and you move them in and and then you know instill your people but it also might be that maybe you destroy the city and then you just like kind of leave it alone then like raiders might join there and post up there and then that's another situation to deal with but but i think one of the craziest parts about kenshi is just like how much the game doesn't give a shit about you like you start out the game and you're like so weak that like if you tried to fight two people you would just like die so essentially you have to get strong in the way that like an actual person would get strong where maybe you uh start out and you like mine rocks and then you sell the rocks and then you sell enough rocks that you can join the ninja clan and then you can train against the people in the ninja clan dojo. And maybe if you don't want to do that, then what you could do is instead of getting really like adept at using a sword, you could just carry tons and tons of rocks and then <laughs> just become really strong. That's so funny. now you don't know how to use a sword, but you're very strong. So you just like have maybe like a giant club and you just whale someone with it. And it doesn't matter that you don't know how to wield it. You're very strong, so you just kind of crush them. But most likely what happens is bandits attack you and they knock you out and steal your food. And then they just kind of leave you there. And they're, they don't, they're not going to kill you. And there's no, like, checkpoints or anything necessarily. So, like, someone will, will hit you out and they'll, like, kill you. Or or maybe they'll, like, permanently tear a limb off of you and, like, that's your situation. Now you need to, like, go find a new limb. Uh, but, but one thing that's kind of cool is that, like, if someone, like, knocks you out and leaves you there, uh, it actually increases your toughness stat. Every single thing you do in this game increases, like, some of your stats. You have, like, stats for mining and for labor and for athletics. And... If you're carrying gear and you're carrying a long way, you increase your strength. But if you have a light backpack instead of a heavy one, then you're increasing your athletics. And there's just like all this wild shit that's going on. Uh, it, there, it is just like one of these like simulation games where you look at it and you're like, holy shit, I, I could play this game forever. But then there's the question of like, how much time do I need to invest in this game to learn its systems and to figure it out before I feel competent. So that's sort of the the balance that I'm trying to figure out of like, how much time can I do I feel good like investing in this? Uh, and I'm feeling payoffs. Like it feels good to like create your characters to like sort of create your narrative in the game where like I don't know like I I built this this uh, squad of these these like two guys who were really really strong and then they went across uh the swamp and they found this bar uh where they were able to hire a couple of mercenaries so then as we're leaving the town the town gets like attacked by these blood spiders and one of the new mercenaries that i bought got eaten alive 
while the other ones were able to survive the attack of the blood spiders. Does this sound familiar? And <laughs> get really, really strong. <laughs> so, so I spent like a lot of money to like get some of these mercenaries, but some of the money feels kind of wasted because uh, I lost one of them immediately. But at the same time, spending the money felt great because now I have these people who are actually way stronger than they would have been. Uh, I, I also had like this weird interaction with uh, uh, um, this vendor where I snuck into his uh, shop at night and I was stealing from him. And at some point I woke him up and he started fighting me and I knocked him out. Uh, so I was I lost some karma because he noticed me stealing. But I gained karma because after I was done beating him up, uh, I healed him while he was unconscious. So I ended up getting more karma for the fact that I healed him than I lost for the fact that I stole his shit. Could you just keep beating Which him up kinda... and then car and then healing him? That's so. That's also another thing is that like the easiest way to like level up your character's ability to fight is to keep a slave that uh, you give a weapon to because everybody in the game levels up the same way that you do. They level up at an even pace. So if you have this person who you're constantly fighting, their skills are leveling up with yours. So you're able to constantly like level up be like essentially as like training partners, right? Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, uh, you can keep fighting the same person and healing them, uh, but they're unconscious for a few days while they're uh, healing. Um, where did you hear this from about, where did you hear about this? Just like on steam, just in recommended uh, on steam. Uh, yeah. It's one of my recommended because I've, it's similar to games like uh, RimWorld. Uh, there have also been like some, some articles about it on like a uh, PC gamer and uh, rock paper shotgun. It's it's pretty wild. It's also very. Um, it has a look, right? It it sure has a look to it. I'm not gonna say it's ugly, because I think that that's unfair. But it's definitely a game that is extremely massive in size. The world, by the way, is not procedurally generated. It is handcrafted. It's massive, but with the fact that it's this small team making this extremely massive game, uh, some of the art is as you would expect it to look. Yeah, it didn't look good when I just looked at it. <clears throat> but it sure is big. And it sure Too big is to fail. this game where like crazy things can happen where you can actually like hire enough people to create an army and like totally change the religion of the country if you want to. That's something I've always wanted to do. So or become enslaved. You could actually just be taken by like you could be fighting like uh, hounds in the desert and the hounds knock you out and slavers walk by and then the slavers capture you. Uh, and then, and then you're just like a slave for a while. Or what happened to me was, was that's what happened where I had a party of two, this party of two got enslaved, but we belonged to the thieves guild and were very fast. So as the slavers were taking us across a city that had a thieves guild, uh, we ran 
and we ran into the headquarters of the Thieves Guild. So then the Thieves Guild started knocking out all of these slavers. And once all the slavers were like dead or passing out, I was able to take my shackles off of me, put them on the slavers, and then sell all of the slavers' gear in the town. That That's just some pretty rich. crazy emergent gameplay right there. Get rich off of getting enslaved, yeah. I had a good time with Kenshi. I could see myself playing more of it in the future. I, I could imagine that this is the kind of game where, like, if you're unemployed, this could be, like, your life for a month. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So pretty neat. Is that what you're playing right I've now? Also, I hear you're clicking clacking. I'm not playing anything right now. I'm oh. actually just uh, poking around my Steam library to uh, tell you about the next game I've been playing, which so is uh, my time at... My time at Portia. I saw that. Have you heard of this one? Yeah, I, well, it, it, another thing on Steam, and I had seen that up as one of the best sellers. What is that? I mean, it looks very Harvest Moon, maybe like 3D. Um, it's super Stardew Valley. Stardew or, Valley, or yeah. It's more, it's more Rune Factory than it is um, Harvest Moon. Uh, it's published by Team 17, uh, who also published uh, Overcooked and Yoku's Island. For some reason... I think that some of the folks behind uh, Nino Kuni uh, were also involved in my time at Portia, though I could be wrong. But I but I think that's the case. Uh, so it, it is a super charming sort of um, farming sim like Stardew Valley, uh, with a little bit more emphasis on exploration, and with I with um, I, I feel like it just has more to do. Um, I, I'm not too far in it. I'm only two hours into it, but the world is super charming. I think that the art style is really cool. The combat feels good. Like the combat feels like actually pretty involved and just the art style is so nice. Uh, you have like this workbook and that sort of tells you your recipes and it's really cool because it has like this very schematic look to it. The music is nice. The, uh, the areas seem really cool to explore and I, I, I think I, I think that they're also kind of going for like this uh, adventure time land of ooh, where it's like this post-apocalyptic world, but it sort of has some magic behind it. And, and that's pretty neat. Um, but there is one thing about it that I thought was very strange. And so in these games, you know, you're always like cultivating these relationships, right? And I think that at some point, because uh, this was a game that was in early access for a while, and I think at some point there were criticisms that people wanted a way to level up their relationships uh, with different characters faster. And because of this, uh, they added some mini games that allow you to level up um, your relationships with people faster. Some of these will be like board games, like uh, Checkers, that you can play with people sort of like a there's a game called like connect five which is kind of like connect four uh there's a sparring uh where you'll be able to like duel other people like in town and just like fight them but also uh the characters that don't have either of those have a rock paper scissors <laughs> feels very lame where it's that is just like bizarre i'm like hey, you just you, you just rock paper scissors for 10 minutes and they're like wow shit i love you so it's weird because it's like uh, there's a stamina cost behind it. So there is like you are losing something by going into it because all of these games like Stardew Valley have like an energy system where it's like you have to consume food 
uh, to keep your energy up. Otherwise, there's only so many uh, manual labor things that you can do throughout the day. And playing playing um, uh, rock, paper, scissors is effectively the same as picking up two piles of rocks. But just like the idea that like, like, like it feels tacked on, right? Of just being like, well, some people, uh, you know, some people aren't fighters, so they wouldn't uh, be good at sparring. And some people aren't like thinkers, so they wouldn't want to play these like challenging games with you. So for everybody else, we just have rock, paper, scissors. Yeah, maybe so they're just, maybe that's that's saying something. Maybe it's like, well, they're they're not physical and they're not intellectual, so they're just stupid. So you just rock, paper, scissors them until they like you. And you don't have to engage with the system. Well, thankfully, in- like they level naturally. You can give people gifts, but it seems like at some point somebody had like a criticism of the game that was like, wow, you sure do level people slow. So they were just like, okay, well, if you want to grind it out, like, here you go. Wow. Which is fine. I mean, I, there's like, uh, this game has like so many characters. Like it is insane. The amount of characters that you have and the amount of like relationships that it seems like you can cultivate alongside just like all of the other systems like i love fishing in games for like whatever reason whatever like fishing is in a game i want to do it this game has like some good fishing and like it feels good to fish it feels good to like mine i i i feel like such a stronger connection with like the farming in this well i'm not too deep into it but so far i really like uh the homestead you create in this game just because I like the way it looks more than I like Stardew Valley. Stardew Valley has like a charm to it, but the fact that they kind of like nail this like slick 3D world that you're like building up yourself, uh, I I think will give this game longer legs uh, than Stardew had with me. Um, Right now it's only on PC, but it is coming to um, Switch and other consoles. Yeah, that's when I was, when I would get it. And uh, And that's something that I think my ltcp would love because she's a big stardew uh and well not really stardew but she's playing she's been playing tons of the harvest moon for switch so yeah so there is a demo uh so if you wanted to you could also just check out the demo uh on steam demos are great uh speaking of demos did you play the um resident evil 2 demo i didn't me neither but i'm really excited for that uh resident evil 2 was my first resident evil and I remember that there was a part in it um, that I, I had a hard time playing that game as a kid because I was actually very scared of it. I don't know if you felt the same way, but I actually like... I was too scared of Resident Evil. I played Resident Evil after that. Like my like mid-teens was when I started to like scary games like Silent Hill and Resident Evil. But when so those games were coming I out, I could not. Though, yeah, this game is actually like it controls like four. Oh, that's really interesting. I, I didn't even know that. But... Uh, so it's a little bit more, like ammo is a little less scarce. Um, I think two was like, had a really amazing atmosphere. I actually think, uh, I eventually dated uh, a girl who was very brave. Um, so I watched her play through all the resident evils and two, I think had the best, um, the best areas. I think that it had like the coolest aesthetic. That's just, the, like, yeah, the, the police like set station pieces. and stuff like that yeah uh so and I'm that's super where leon comes from check this out super super excited uh for this to come out on friday uh brian aarons is coming over and we're just gonna play through it well hell yeah so 
I don't know. Are you excited for that? I'm excited. No, no, no. I don't feel, I wouldn't say excited. Resident Evil 7 was so good. What was that? Resident Evil 7, the first person one. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's not at all. And it it was it was good. It wasn't so I'm good. I'm just saying we're we're on a Resident Evil upswing, and some of the coolest parts of Resident Evil Seven were the tension and were sort of the way that they cultivated the atmosphere in the first half. And the great thing about Resident Evil Two is that like the atmosphere and the set pieces and everything that you need are already there. So all they need to do is put in a bit more like like better gameplay and and like I'm set. And they've got that demo, so like you could check it out, but I already pre-ordered the game cuz I know that like I I just need to revisit it to know that I'm better than I was as a kid. Right? You're always better than I'm, than you were as I'm a kid. Brave enough now. Than you were as a kid. I'm brave enough. Especially big, because I've been going brave through, boy. I've been going through uh, it by Stephen King and and that's really scary. The novel? Like that has yeah. Yeah, it's, there's some uh, really scary stuff not even related to the clown in, in that. There are some really like disturbing moments with uh, Patrick Hockstetter and all the other, like, I, I feel like the, the kids in that, like the the actual like humans that they're dealing with are way scarier than than the extraterrestrial forces. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. But this Man, isn't a book club, that, right? that's, that's something to talk about after you finish it because that, that book just like, the, the the amount of cocaine that went into that book is very evident, especially in the back half of that, but that's for another time. So my time at Portia, super good. Excited for Resident Evil. I also just started playing this uh, puzzle game today called Wild True Learn, and it is a game that essentially teaches you um, machine learning concepts where you actually start off um, with simple machine learning concepts from the 60s, uh, and then as you progress through the game, you're going to more recent uh, machine learning um, concepts. And they do it in, in like a very visually pleasing way. Essentially, the story of the game is you are a machine learning specialist who specializes in neural networks, but you can't get your code to work. So you step away from the machine and while you're gone, your cat figures it out for you. So then this programmer is like, holy shit, uh, I need to figure out how to talk to my cat so my cat can teach me uh, to be better as a programmer. So what you're doing through the game is learning the concepts that you need uh, to create a cat-to-human translation device. And it's pretty cool. They teach you about like how self-driving cars work. They teach you like decision tree algorithms and Monte Carlo algorithms. And like it's nice because... Um, it's stuff that I work with, like, like professionally, um, but mostly from an analytical standpoint. So I, I look forward to like playing through this game more, uh, just to understand more about what our engineering and dev team is doing. That sounds really cool. I wish that I could actually learn to speak to my cat. I wonder well, what maybe, say. Uh, maybe play while true learn. But it's cool. I mean, these kind of games are picking up, right? Uh, Giant Bombcast was talking about uh, Zachtronics a lot last year with uh, Exopunks and things like that. And this game, I think, is pretty similar uh, to Exopunks and to those other games that are a little bit more popular. Yeah, I mean, I've been singing the praises of that for a long time. I think that that is like when you make like a slick 
enjoyable game. It is the best way to learn something because it's something that you can do on your own time. You feel positive about putting uh, time into it. It's not, you know, opening up a book. Like, I think some of the furthest I ever got with learning Japanese was through that uh, uh, Learn Japanese DS game that I can't think of the name of. Uh, but uh, Nihongo, maybe. Um, but that was very clever. Thank you. Um, there you go. Uh, it, yeah, that's that's some of the coolest stuff. I I, I really appreciate that. Or or the um, uh, what Rocksmith is a really cool game because that is probably one of the coolest ways to learn guitar. It really starts you out from nothing to something, and it gets you feeling like you're doing well from the beginning, rather than that feeling of when you when you're learning. That that that's one of the things that that video game uh, guided uh, uh, learning can do better than anything else is that. Uh, video games give you that quick hit of dopamine, that that sense of progression. Yeah. And in real life, you you don't necessarily get that until you get further along with something. Like if you're lear- like like learning guitar, for example, is something that will take a long time. And especially if you're starting from nothing, then you're gonna really not be doing anything you really want to be doing for a little while. But if you get you get a game like Rocksmith, then it can you know g- give you uh, that feeling uh, pretty quickly. It gives you the feeling of like, oh, we taught you a couple chords, now play uh, along to these chords, and then like giving you like high scores and like the overall like vis- viscerality or visceralness of it can combine to make you feel like, oh, I really learned something there, and it was it was fun, rather than just like if someone was teaching you and you know it, you suck, but they're like, no, you're you're really making progress. Yeah, so I've been digging that. I've only got a few hours into it. Uh, I haven't hit any stumbling blocks yet, but I'm sure they're coming. Uh, the thing that's hard with working with machine learning it, and and also with this game is that you're working with algorithms that are right a percentage of the time. So you have to create systems that have accuracy at certain levels, and sometimes they'll present you with challenges that are like, we need... Uh, this this uh, this output needs to be seventy percent accurate, but this one over here needs to be a hundred percent accurate. So it's it's hard, like figuring out like how to move around the systems so that you're doing things quickly enough, but but also doing things that are like filtering correctly and having the accuracy where you need it. And like essentially, it's like a balancing act. But I think that that's good because that's actually the way that reality is. Like that's actually the way that uh, companies use machine learning, where there's allowed to be uh, mistakes because you're working with data sets that are so large that, like, if you have like a million records and 10% of them are wrong or you get it wrong, it doesn't matter. The analysis is still going to be successful because uh, quantity over quality. So mm-hmm. it is pretty cool, you know working with something like playing this game that is so true to the way that it actually works. Um, so I don't know about you, but my uh, Nintendo Switch, it seems like you're playing a lot of different games. Mine is still a Smash Brothers machine. Um, I'm definitely mostly playing that when I'm when I'm alone. And I got Switch. I have quite a I have a lot of World of Light to go through still. I, I'm still I, liking I banged it. that out. Good. I finished that. I done finished it. What did you think um, as someone who's gone through, who's on the other side of it? So, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, I heard a really interesting criticism and it, it 
I hadn't really thought about it. I kept kind of like the last time I was talking about it, I think I had the complaint that it's a lot of fighting. Um, like it's, and, and that sounds weird, but the, the main thing that is kind of frustrating with world of light is that it's very samey. It's really easy to get tired of it. And there's a lot of it. Uh, there's really nothing that, um, breaks it up. It's too bad that there's not, uh, like previously, um, smashes world, like some of their story modes. They had that, uh, subspace emissary was, is a good example of like a smash mode that is like a side scroller that includes fighting but also like side scrolling platform and stuff like that mechanics um and it's fun because it it mixes stuff up but uh world of light just can be a lot uh it it is a lot to just like keep doing those fights because none of them like they're they they have different mechanics but it's still always fighting so it's a little bit uh grindy after a while so i like the fighting my issue with world of light is a couple of things uh my first issue is that if it were just fighting, that would be one thing, but it's also like the management aspect of like, well, for this fight, you want to use uh, this type of spirit because there's uh, lava on the ground. And uh, so there is this idea of like, you need to fiddle with your, with your team. They have an auto complete though, that does that. And it's not easy though. It's not easy to just like fiddle or even to just like change your character takes too long. The, the autocomplete works pretty well. Way. If you just do the like, if you do the autocomplete, then it'll it'll put on the best selected stuff. So it'll it'll if there's a fire stage, then it'll give you fire immunity. Yeah. Also, I have like little Mac, and I have like a spirit setup that's like perfect for him, where like I trained him at all the correct dojos, and it has like fist damage times four because I have like a fist main and then three fist supports. So he's so strong that I kill most things in like two hits. Um, so, so then on one side, it's like, do I want to just do that? Cause it's going to get me through and it's like almost never going to fail. Or do I want to like play with different characters and like experiment, but then the playing with the other characters and experimenting also involves like, do I want to set up optimal spirit teams? Uh, so, so that's like sort of the only criticism I have. Uh, I don't mind that it's just fighting because, I mean, that's what I signed up for. <clears throat> yeah, it takes a while. Um, and therein is like another criticism is that they give you the known quantity characters up front. And then like 20, 30 hours later, you'll start to get the characters that are, you know, newer to the series newer to the franchise i I just want king k rule and i hear he's like one of the last ones you yeah he's pretty far down and and it's frustrating too because you can't take your uh characters that you've unlocked in the like regular game into uh into world of light like you have to unlock them in world of light so yeah it can it it can be like this is the character i want to play with but i can't do it for another 20 30 hours I feel like you like after you deal do like some dungeon or something, they should actually have just given you like um, a coin that lets you unlock any character and maybe give you like three of those throughout the whole campaign so that you can at least uh, if there's someone that you're really excited about having that at least you can have them yeah. early because by the time I unlock King K rule, I won't have a lot of, uh, spirit, a, a lot of World of Light left. Oh yeah, you think that? I guess I'll see, huh? 
Where where are you at? Um, I just is it spoilery to talk about? It's not cool I'm enough the, to I'm be spoilery. I'm in the lost. I'm in the lost woods of the dark world. Yeah, there's there's a there's a good amount after that. But I don't know where King K. Rool is. Where is he? Is he in there? He's in the dark world. Okay. I believe when you know how the 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 dark world splits off like like in three different directions. I think it splits off like kind of what southwest, southeast, and then north in like yeah. three different directions. I think the right path, the like southeast kind of path, goes into this area where. Um, it's just like weird broken up uh like fragmented world and when and as you're progressing you have to answer questions like they'll say which of these characters which of these characters is a pokemon that is a flying type and then it'll give you a bunch of spirits and one of them will be like pidgey um and you have to fight pidgey to progress and then uh in that area when you go far enough uh near the end of that is king k rule i believe all right, so I'll go there first because I just wanna, I just wanna see that belly. Yeah, gotta see that belly. Um, but also just like seeing it and and hearing like the different music, kind of just gets me excited about Nintendo stuff. Like there have been times that I just like just think about playing Tropical Freeze again. It's a really good game, and it's definitely a cool nostalgia uh, and at the same time celebration. It's a really I think it's a really special thing. Like it's going to be on my top 10 for sure. Um, and I haven't liked a smash brothers like this since like what brawl or maybe before that. Um, and I like brawl. I'm not, I, I don't play hardcore. Melee. So, but for me, it's since melee. Yeah. Um, I just like the characters in brawl. And I also, I don't take the game seriously. Uh, I have a friend at the Academy that is like one of those long time, like playing smash competitively people. And okay. he's like, he's not even good, I would say, like, overall, he's definitely the kind of person that is like my level of like how sure. good how good I'm at in fighting games, typically, where it's like, I'm pretty good. I'll beat uh, just anybody uh, if I'm like in couch co-op and online, I do well. But if I was going to go to a tournament or like a local meetup, then I would get my ass kicked. And this is the kind of same with him where he's like. Okay. Better than a casual, but not, like, good enough to be in a tournament. Got it. Um, and he's young. He's, like, tw he's 20, and he, he is a very competitive person, so he has a bad attitude. He has a weirdly frustrating and a, obnoxious attitude to be around usually. Um, for example, when like... he sees you, does he, like, what's up, gamer? Uh, kind of. I mean, like, he's... He's, hey, he's something like, like I thought he was kind of like one of the coolest people I met uh, in the beginning. But now he's like a little bit frustrating to be around sometimes. For example, he was like, like he plays a lot of Overwatch and he's like, come on, play Overwatch. But he, every single time, I feel like he's asked me multiple times what my rank is in Overwatch. And I'm just like, I, I'm not 20. I'm not 20 years old. Like, I ain't got time to, to play a rank. I want to play other games. I don't want to just play one game. I want to play a couple games poorly and, or like mediocre then I would rather like yeah. invest all my free time into one game and play it okay, not even great. Um, so I was like, yeah, I'm not. I haven't done ranked. I haven't even done ranked since in like two years. So I'm like, yeah, I haven't done ranked in two years. And then he was like, oh, I bet you would be like, uh, like a silver or something, but like bad. 
And it was like, that's such a weird wow. thing to say. It's such a weird, bizarre thing to say. Like, uh, the, you have no... Und- He'll say that all the time. Uh, stuff like, how, like, like uh, we should do this together. I bet you'd be bad at it. Something like that, where it's like, that is such a bizarre thing to to say that you... Like, you have no knowledge of whether of what I would be at Overwatch. I mean, sure, I would be bad at it. If I told him, like, one time I almost got Master rank, um, and... Uh, he was like, no way, no way. I don't believe that for a second. And then he was like, Come, prove it. Get on, you know, get on to Overwatch, and I want to see if you're good. And it's like, I have, I don't get give a shit. Rank now. I don't have to prove anything. You know what you should do? You should just be like, uh, yo, we should drink together. I bet you'd be bad at it. And then you just like give him a crippling drug addiction, and then uh, there you go. Because if he's competitive, then he'll just try to match you. Yeah, I'll just be like, and, uh, "Oh man, you're drinking better than me," and then I would stop. And he's like, "Oh, I'm still winning." But uh, but yeah, he, he <laughs> like he's he's <laughs> he's so he he is weird about that. And he's a good embodiment of what I think of when I think of Smash. Uh, and like I I, I won't accept this as an uh, I feel like I'm an open-minded person with a lot of things, and I won't accept this as not a reality that people who play Smash competitively, at least when they talk about it, are fucking annoying. Like, I don't give a shit if you're listening to this podcast and you're our one viewer. They're, you're fucking annoying when you do that. It is the probably, it might be like the most, it might be the worst community overall that I have ever entered into. Like, Smash players have the dumbest recycled memes that they use. Uh, they are like they are well known for whatever reason to be like stinky, not have any personal hygiene. Like whenever you log in, whenever you like look at a Smash stream, it's usually like cripplingly overweight people who like cannot possibly take care of themselves. But anyway, uh, he has the most frustrating like personality with this. And I played him in Smash, and he was like so frustrating, like teabagging and playing different characters. And I was mostly just playing Cloud. Like, yeah, I want to get better. Like, I don't really know much about like overall combo structure and stuff like that so then he was like i'll show you how to play cloud and then he like beat me with cloud cool yeah i know right um so yeah smash run the items off uh yeah we played like the you know the real rule set of like the three stock the real rules three stock five minutes or whatever um i think you're a little too um you take it a little too seriously for me ryan um i played with john this weekend and we play um Items on high, but only bananas and pitfalls. See that that right there. That it's so weird that that your half joke is more what Smash really is. Like I don't get it. Okay, a sh- but that's how we actually played. I know that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> like we like bananas and pitfalls. I, I still think it's insane. Smash will never cease to boggle me. I mean, it makes sense because of just the you know the amount of uh character driven nostalgia plus the the fact that it's nintendo plus the fact that they're they you could you could bend it over backwards enough to make a fighting game out of it but it still it blows my mind like how much has to be done to make smash competitive like banning all these stages or characters and stuff like that and items off and like you change you change the game completely from what it is it's like it's so bizarre to me like being like we only play mario kart but we play with all items off and only these stages are allowed and like all these different uh ways we have to make it competitive viable like just fucking play just play something just play something else play forza 
I don't get it. Like if you if you're so obsessed with fighting games, like uh, like those people is like like with him especially is like uh, uh, I'll rock you any day at Tekken, Street Fighter, Dragon Ball Fighters, any real fighting game. But yeah, if you turn on turn off the items and try to make smash a fighting game and you've been playing it for the last ten years, yeah, you're okay. You're good at it. You're not even te- tournament ready. It's just, oh man, what a what a shitty community though. Holy shit! I can't well, wait to I... see what Joker is like though. I mean, that's exciting. There's so many. There's, there's tons of good characters, and like, it is such a cool game. Um, I just wish that, uh, I wish it were a little bit better balanced to begin with. Um, not that I'm at, I'm ne- not even remotely close to the level that it matters. There's like a decent amount of characters for a 70 character game that are that are viable uh, in the grand scheme of things. I guess in like tournaments and stuff like that. But I, I do uh, wish the game. I don't know. We're overall better. We had a better community, uh, something like a community that I that I could be interested in, and like I would never want to to play a ton of Smash and learn it because then what would I do with that? Like I don't want to. I would never ever want to go to a tournament. I don't even like the people I've met who play competitive Smash or or like know that aspect of Smash are always annoying. Like I would never. I can't think of a single person that I've met before with Smash that is like that I would want to have them over like G way or something and play some Tekken for like eight hours. Like I don't, I don't want to play the same stock, no bat, no items shit for eight hours straight. Watch some teabag. Oof. I hear you. Yeah. Uh, but you've been playing some other stuff on the switch, right? So you briefly mentioned, uh, overcooked. Yeah. I've been playing a lot of overcooked. That's a really good game. Good game. I've been playing overcooked and overcooked too. Uh, I think originally you had given me for Christmas $20 for the Nintendo Switch Online uh, as, like, store credit. And I got uh, Overcooked, which was discounted to, like, 19 bucks. And uh, that is that was a really cool game, and I we, we played a good amount of it. But then eventually, because uh, my LTCP just got a Switch. Like, Overcooked yes. was enough to get her into, uh, uh, like, it would it, talk about gateway games. Like, Overcooked was, like... Uh, enough for her to remember the spark of her like nerd burgling weeaboo self as a high schooler so she got a a switch and has proceeded to like basically just play switch all the time is like finished with the story in harvest moon and plays a ton of like mario kart and she got mario party oh man i played that that that's a <laughs> that that is something i want to talk about for a moment the, the mario wow. party on why, why, so wait she's playing harvest moon did you get her into like stardew valley i told her to play stardew valley and she looked at it and said that this this wasn't what she wanted and maybe it's one of those things where when you date someone and you tell them something sometimes they say no and then when someone outside the relationship says something yeah, and they'll I, agree with I you so maybe like you the next time she's over uh you have to say hey you should play stardew valley it's a lot like harvest moon because when i told her that and it is a lot like harvest moon she looked at it and said no it's nothing like harvest moon <laughs> which i guess is like because it's she's used to the harvest moon with uh polygonal graphics and maybe stardew valley uh, she just doesn't get the concept of it but it is like the same kind of thing but anyway uh, she's been playing a lot of a ton of Switch, and uh, that's been fun to play some Switch games with her. Um, uh, also, Stardew has co-op. We played. Uh, yeah, I was, that's another reason why I, I told her to get that. So we had. So uh, when we were playing, we wanted to play that online. Uh, and Overcooked isn't online. Overcooked 2 is online, so we had to get that, and we just moved over to that anyway. And I've mostly been playing that. It's a great game. Um, it is a fun party game. Uh, it's a excellent 
um, it's an excellent uh, concept for sure because oh yeah because it, as like you it kind of reminds me of a better version game version of uh what was I don't even know if you'll remember the name of this but there was like a game um like on phones where you would all download this game and link up into the same room and then what would happen is you all had different um control panels basically and you'd be getting messages like you know, turn off the turbo boosters and you'd have to yell like, turn off the turbo boosters. And then someone would have a control panel on one of theirs that had turbo boosters on it and they turn it off. Um, and Overcooked is a game. I don't know this game. Yeah. I forget what it was called. Um, but Overcooked is a game that like is not only like fun and satisfying and has a uh, good, uh, like great, great satisfying gameplay um, and you can get better at it. And also it's a good thing to play with an SO. Cause as you're like, you're, you're basically, you're cooking, um, in this party game style thing where you're getting, uh, you get food, uh, like raw materials and you got to chop it up. Like, and then you got to cook it either like saute it, fry it, or do something to make these dishes. And they make the dishes more complex over time. And then they even add a lot of like environmental stuff where they, they split up the cooks and make like moving, uh, platformy kind or of stuff. Like traveling down a raft. Or tra- there's yeah. Like, uh, people walking through the kitchen. Yeah. Stuff like that. Like they, they add a lot of, they, they do a lot, but the, at, at its core, the whole purpose of it is for, you to be communicating nonstop, which is a great concept for a party game. Like you have to be communicating about you, you know, give me the tomatoes. I need a tomato, chop up tomatoes. Like I'm on this other thing. So don't worry about the steak dish. I'm almost done with the steak. Can you take off the, the chicken off of the frying pan because it's about to uh, overcook. So yeah, um, a lot of cool stuff. Definitely a really good game. Definitely a uh, uh, highly recommend it. Um, Mario Party, Mario, huh? Ma- Mario Kart 8 is a good Mario Kart. Uh, I still Mario think... Mario Kart uh, Yeah, I'll talk about Mario Kart just because, like, there's a lot of uh, in it, and I almost like it more these days as a uh, party game compared to some of the other things that are party games. Um, just because, like... I mean, the, if you've got to play one of them. Yeah, if you've got to play one of them. Like, Mario Kart 8 is so gorgeous. It's so unbelievably oh, yeah. gorgeous. And, Did you play it on the Wii U? Uh, no. Uh, and the amount okay. of of uh, love that went into the tracks is just oh, yeah. unbelievable. It's it's a phenomenal game. The Zelda game. ones are really cool. Yeah, the Zelda ones are really cool. And the way that it like it's even cute the way that it does stuff where like the coins as a mechanic, which I think is a great mechanic by the way. Uh, Mario Kart oh, yeah. now has uh, coins, and they're not like you know the boxes. They're 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 less frustrating. It moves kind of like the game into a little bit more of a controlled aspect. So there's coins on the track, and as you pick them up, you uh you gain like a small increase to speed and it maxes out at 10 coins. But if you're ever hit or die um, or like fall off, you don't really die. But if you, if that ever happens, you lose a coin. So you kind of like lose the speed. So, you know, doing well and, you know, avoiding environmental hazards and, uh, you know, being praying, praying hard enough to uh, Republican Jesus that you don't get hit with like a red shell or a blue shell. Uh, if that works out for you, then once you get those ten coins, you're just you. You it feels good to have that like flow. Um, uh, so uh, what I meant to say was that the uh, Zelda version, the Zelda track has rupees instead of coins. Cute. Um, uh, and on the other side of the coins, 
pause for laughter is uh for dramatic effect yeah a quote pause for dramatic effect is uh the the mario party on switch which um i feel like nintendo so mario kart and smash brothers for switch are both great examples of nintendo getting smarter with these franchises adding in more traditional hooks of like interesting unlockables and progressions but progression but also adding so much uh, up front that they just really suck you in and just core really good gameplay uh yeah I, uh so of course the reverse had to be uh mario party what is it seven or whatever the one for switch that is the worst game i have played in a decade uh it is it is objectively bad uh it is terrible um it is so so bad i, I can't even believe that like it uh no she she was like she had played with the computer a little bit and was like wanted to really wanted to play badly with me um and when we played uh just we played like a 20 round game which lasted way too long um and uh halfway through i'm just like like i gave it a chance and halfway through i just realized that the game was absolute horseshit and uh was just shit talking it the whole time and then eventually she came over to realize like yep the game is terrible but uh what makes it, it could so be playing a real board game yeah what makes it so objectively terrible um so the balancing of it is fucking terrible uh we played a mode where it's like a dungeon crawler almost where it's a board where it's free movement like kind of where where you're not like okay. railroaded to go anywhere but when you you hit sure. the dice like you normally would with mario party and then you can mario why don't she's been making me do that she, she says mario um uh you hit the dice and then it tells you a certain number of spaces you can move but it's free movement so you can kind of move around this large map uh that isn't um just a board game style uh directed map and uh, the map would have different things you can go to, and the star kind of bounces around, and it's team-based, so you kind of want to move your 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 team around so that they can scoop up a star when it moves. But uh, Mario Party is a frustrating game for many, many reasons. Frustrating in that, that Nintendo Party style where so much randomness, input randomness is kind of happening that uh, it can often feel like you have no actual agency. Um, but... In Mario Party uh, 7 or whatever this is, um, the balancing of, like, stars and coins is, like, terrible. So a star costs, like, 10 coins. And a single win uh, on a game uh, for, like, placing first will get you 10. uh, And placing second will get you, like, 7. And it gets you a good amount. But but as you are moving around the, the map on this board, uh, you could get enough stars basically to just get the enough coins to get a star anyway, since it's priced so cheap um, that just, you know, you'll naturally pretty much Back have in my day, a, a star was 20 coins. Yeah, it used to be more prohibitive. You used to kind of have to win the games to be able to purchase stars. But uh, we played against like easy uh, computers and the computers lost every single game. They never, they over the course of 20 rounds, they never won a single game. And the games suck. They're, they're terrible. They're the worst they've ever been. There's nothing interesting about them. Most of the games in themselves are actually, weirdly enough, random, randomly based. They're things where, where you're kind of just like guessing at something or flipping a coin. Uh, and they have like a right. slight bit of actual... Here, here was one of the games. Um, uh, you... 
and your partner are split up uh, in this, you know, room that has two two sides. And from the sky, uh, and so is the enemy. So there's four people overall, two teams, and and, uh, each team is split in half on this room. And these bits of these stars, half of a star is falling down on both sides. So you'd have to pick up the star and then go to the the wall that adjoins the room, like in the middle of the room, uh, at the same time as the partner to put the star together and get a point, basically, in this game. But the way it was working was that uh, two halves of the star fell down on both sides every single time. So you would just naturally, like... One, the CPU and the per player character would both go pick up a side of the star, and then all people go to the center to complete a star, and then two more things fall down. I mean, I can't, like, I know it's conceptual, but the point being is that there's almost no competition here. It's like a very okay. d- dull version of competition, and it kind of just happens. It's like busy work. It, more so than any it's ever been like i never enjoyed a single game we played um and uh another really frustrating thing about this mario party is that uh as you're moving around you'll uh find uh this is probably the worst thing this is probably the worst thing that i could ever say about it this is like objectively a bad concept uh as you're moving around you'll find characters on the map and when you go to their okay. space they'll join you so Let's say you're moving around the map, and then there's a little shy guy, and uh, you go to shy guy's space, and he says, "I'll join you." So he like kind of starts for cool. the rest of the game. He stands behind you, and he runs around with you. And then whenever you roll okay. to move, you hit the 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 you know your block, your dice block, and so does the little yes. shy guy. And he adds on and to that your. That sounds cool. He adds on to your movement now. Where this is instantly a problem is that it is it is intensely snowballing so think about a map where there are characters spread across so the first so they were getting just good rolls like they were just like mario party your your movement is based on dice rolling so when they just roll well and they hit a character then that character now is adding onto their movement rolls which means that they go further which means that they can get to, to the next character and in the in the uh in the games those characters that are joining you in your party actually play as CPUs in the game, in each game, helping you out. So, for example, a one intensely fun game was a tug of war where you had to just mash, you know, a button to tug of war, and all the the uh, partners in the game are also there. So we we were when we were playing. Peach got an early good, like got like a six on one of the first rolls. Got the first partner. Now the partner is adding like one to two on each of her roles. So then she gets another partner. And at one point she had like a train of like five partners. So she's rolling like 14, like a turn. She'll move around 14 spaces. Whereas like Priya and I are moving around like two to four spaces. Like we're going nowhere and she's just accruing more partners. So when we got to this, this, uh, uh, tug of war, uh, she, they had like 10 people on their team playing tug of war and they just beat us. What is that? That's Mario Party, baby. Yeah, it sucks. That's Mario Party. That's it. That's all I want to say about it. Don't get it. Even if you like, even if you like so Mario Party, time. let's talk about something better. Let's talk about something less frustrating. Time. Yeah, I know. Let's talk about something less frustrating. What's board games? You could have been. You could have been playing a real board game instead. I know. I I did play a real board game yesterday. 
Oh, you play board games. I have also been playing board games. I played Wingspan. Wingspan. Whoa. Yes. I didn't know that you uh, played Wingspan. You didn't news to me. Who did you play Wingspan with? My LTCP. Ooh, it's a good two-player game. It is a good two-player game, and maybe more. Um, it's a one-to-five-player game. It's a, it's a yeah, competitive, medium-weight, card-driven, engine-building board game. Fantastic. I, so I don't even need to explain it. Um, really, really pretty, amazing components. It is, like, almost on on the level with, like, uh, I don't even want to... I, I don't want to say... I mean, yeah, like, similar to that. Like, the cardboard is good. The artwork is good. Uh, the... Uh, it, there's no, there's no pieces. Uh, there's no like, uh, minis or anything like that. Cause that would be weird. Um, you are a, uh, uh, a bird a, a, watcher? Or, ornithologist, uh, an avianary ornophile. I don't know. Um, okay. You're uh, a bird man. You're a bird man. Um, and you just love these damn birds and you have a, a mat, uh, that, uh, you put that da- that has uh, basically three rows, and the rows are uh, broken up into different wilderness types. The top row is forest, the middle row is grasslands, and the low, the bottom row, is wetlands. And whenever you take an action in this game, basically, you'll activate one of the rows, and either uh, going uh, forest is uh, get food. And the food is the kind of currency you use to play the bird cards down on your field. Um, uh, lay eggs. And eggs is also a currency, but also uh, scores points and stuff like that. And on the bottom is draw cards. So, and uh, you're putting these birds down in a tableau on these lines, uh, on these in these different areas. And as you basically take these actions, you'll also activate the birds on those lines. And... Uh, there are yeah. 170 different birds. They are all unique artwork. Some of them have similar, um, like actual, like text for card game purposes. But the uh, name of the bird, the artwork, and the little fun fact and stuff will be different. Um, and uh, it's a really pretty game. All, all the components are pretty amazing. Uh, it probably has the best uh, rule book I've ever seen in my life. Not only for how wow. easily it explains it, but the fact that like it's like insanely linen uh, finished to the point where it just feels like cloth. Um, the the yeah, all the components are nice. Uh, it's got really good um, uh, trays in the game that hold all the cards, and it even uh, has the top of the tray has slots for three cards, which is what the um, basically like the marketplace of bird cards okay. is um so yeah it's a really good game it's just re- it's a, it's really so good it's why, re- is it, why is it fun um why do i tell me why do i get excited about birds for the same reason that you would uh like any sort of like medium weighty kind of tableau building game it's a you know it's you build an engine tell me it feels tell good me how this is how is it different from terraforming mars and in what ways is it is it similar um, it's definitely different from terraforming Mars in a big way. Um, uh, I would say that there's like even less player interaction. Like there, you're not like bombing someone's Ooh. birds. Um, Ooh. Uh, the the player interaction, from what I've seen, is more based on like denying them of stuff that they might want on the marketplace or the food that that is like up for grabs. 
Um, and then there's also cards that activate on your opponent's turn if they meet certain conditions. But for the most part, you're not like, there's no take that. You're never uh, going to remove something from someone else's um, uh, like okay. tableau. Um, and but, it's. But you, you're interfacing with the same board, right? I mean, Terraforming Mars has the player interaction in terms of uh, if you do drafting, right? So, so that's one of the ways. But in Terraforming Mars, you're also kind of competing over uh, certain spaces on the board, but not very much. So, how is how does it work in in uh, the the bird game, the wingspan? Are you where are you getting? Cards Everyone has from? a different board. Are you competing? Everyone has a different board, and yeah. And where do the cards come from? How do you get the cards? Um, whenever uh, one of the actions, the wetlands action on the bottom, is draw cards, and uh, Ooh. and okay. yeah, you draw cards. So I mean, uh, I mean, it, it, it's definitely difficult to explain without just seeing it, and it's a very very simple game. But one of the the things that is, it, it is going to be uh, a very chill game. It's going to be a chill vibe game, and that's something that I do appreciate. Okay. It's not going to be a game that that's like what I have. That's what I have. Terraforming Mars Four is is it's chiller than imagine, that. Imagine that I have someone over uh, who's a pain in the ass to play board games against. You need a game like Terraforming Mars that's like, okay, somebody can't possibly get upset with this game. I think this and is chiller than that. For. Like it's less. Very cool. Did you know it's out of stock? Uh, I didn't. It's less yep. like input it's random stuck. than that. Like uh, uh, Terraforming Mars can be a little frustrating when you aren't just drafting any of the cards that you want. Um, and with Wingspan, uh, something about just the components, the artwork is beautiful. Um, the just looking at the birds, I guess, is like weirdly calming. It's a very like it like the theme itself kind of sucks you in. It's a very uh, low stress environment, um, and. Uh, so, yeah, there's not a lot of interaction. You're really kind of more building up your engine, and it feels satisfying to run that engine. Um, you, uh, One of the, the things that I could explain that kind of, like, separates it is you have these three lines of this tableau. As I said, there's forest, uh, grasslands, and wetlands, and each of them are tied to an action you take. Um, but at, whenever you take, whenever you try and take that action, you basically take the, e each of the spaces on that tableau have an increasingly positive gain. So for example, on forest, the first one will be like, get one food. The second one will be like, get one food and discard a card to get a second food. And the third one will be okay. get two food. So as you're slotting birds, the forest, what? That's it. I'm just going to the forest then. Yeah. So I'm as done. you're, as you're slotting birds in, you're basically taking up spaces on the leftmost thing, making it so that you're making that, uh, next time you take an action on that space, uh, not only will you activate those birds' abilities, but you'll get a better outcome from going to that space. So, okay. so yeah, it's more, it's more uh, uh, like an interesting, very relaxed, easy to explain, chill vibes game. Cool. You know, I've been playing a couple of board games myself. Uh, have you heard of a game called Thunderstone Quest? I gave you a game called Thunderstone Quest, but it's not giving. It's it is because it's a gift. Uh, so Thunderstone Quest. Uh, so it's a little funny to see these two things together, but it's absolutely the truth. It is the combination of Dominion and Clank. Uh, so you might ask. 
so how does that work, right? Because those games already have quite a few similarities. Well, let me tell you. So essentially, uh, Thunderstone Quest is a game that can be played in a few different ways. Uh, you can essentially play it like Dominion, where you're just selecting cards and putting them out randomly and playing like a deck building game. But I think the way that's a little bit more popular to play it is sort of as a campaign. So essentially what you're doing is your deck contains uh, a number of heroes and items and weapons. Your heroes start out at level zero, and as you go into the dungeon and kill monsters, you have the option to level them up uh, by going back to town. So essentially every turn, uh, you're drawing your hand and then you're choosing, do I want to go to town or do I want to go to the dungeon? If I go to the dungeon, I can get uh, loot and experience, and if I go to town, I can heal and I can trade in uh, the money and the uh, experience that I'm getting in the dungeon to level up my heroes and to buy new gear to improve my deck. Pretty simple, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but also really cool just because of uh, all of the ways that sort of the game can be different. Uh, similar to Dominion, where you're putting out those different cards, and uh, they really ease you into it because of the way that the campaign works, where at the start of a campaign, there will be a campaign called like uh, a mirror in the dark, and uh, it'll have a totally fresh set of cards. Uh, you pick some out. There will be different heroes, which are essentially like different classes that your starting adventurer can level into. Uh, you know, different types of rogues and clerics and warriors and mages. Uh, there will be different gear. There will be different uh, items. And then there will be different monster decks. Um, so as you go through a, through a single campaign, so as you're going through a Mirror in the Dark Chapter 1 and you move into Chapter 2, it'll have only minor variations where some of the items will be switched out some of the monsters will be switched out, but some of them will be the same so that you sort of have a footing in, uh, you know, what you what you know are options and what you know you can do. But then after you finish a mirror in the dark and you open up, uh, let's say, a total eclipse of the sun, then you're working with like a totally fresh set of cards. And it's pretty cool because then you think to yourself, oh man, how badass would it be if I had uh, this dwarf available and this dwarf, and I also had malls. So because of the way that it's set up, you can also create your own like sort of custom variants that have your predefined or your preferred set of cards. And there are also some, uh, some aspects of the campaign, like uh, the winner of the game will get first pick on adding a card to their starter deck. Uh, so I haven't played with that yet, just because I like the idea of... Um, like having letting different people switch in and out without like worrying about like oh yeah you chose starter deck three which has the uh the dwarf hero to start with but it's really neat um i i think that it's the the setup in teardown is is pretty is pretty tricky though it's it is a very big box and there are a lot of components and a lot of cards to it but i actually think that it's an extremely easy game to learn and to play and as I was going through it, the turns were lightning quick. That's always good. The minis uh, were a little extraneous. I don't know if you actually need the miniatures. It's cool that they're there. Yeah, uh, I don't think you mostly, ever needed them. They're, and they're not even related to some of the heroes you're going to be playing, obviously. Mostly you're interfacing with cards. And also you're not exactly a hero. You are, you sort of are playing as a guild uh, where you have like 
many heroes. Your deck contains like multiple heroes in it that are all equipping cards. And at the start of the game, you're choosing like what guild you belong to. Like, are you the mages guild? Are you the fighters guild? And then you will get certain benefits for having those characters. Also, you get like a, a side quest, which you remain, which remains uh, hidden from all the other players for whatever reason. And then at some point in the game, you reveal your side quest once you've completed it. And then usually you will get some extremely powerful uh, card that goes into your deck. And that just feels really cool. One of the things that I really like about this game is uh, certain monsters will give you a face down treasure card. And I, I really just love the idea of like picking up a piece of loot and you don't know what it's going to be. And then like it goes into your deck and you're like, oh shit, that totally synergizes with what I've currently got going on. And that's just a great feeling. Yeah, I'd have to... Uh, I'll, I'm interested to try it out. It does seem like a weird, um, uh, like, mash with the theme. Like, I don't know if the theme seems... Like, it, like a lot of the... Definitely, like, even, like, reading rules is, like, like bread. Like, well, the way that like, bread works is, like, a currency. Or, like, that you're not really playing as a hero, but they half want you to feel like you're a hero is, like... it. it it's definitely a gamey game. And that's not wrong. That's not bad. No, because it feels really good to play. So another game that I've been playing is uh, Enchanters. Enchanters is a game. Did, did, do you have Enchanters? Did you? Uh, kickstart I didn't get it that? yet. Weirdly enough, I did kickstart it. I'm getting it on Tuesday. So I got my copy. Uh, essentially, this is Enchanters Overlords, which contains the base game for Enchanters uh, and the Overlords expansion. So it is an extremely easy game with like a one minute setup time. I think that this is like the perfect filler. And I think that a lot of people would like to play this game enough that you could actually play it uh, multiple times and that there's enough um, variance in the game that, that you actually can do that. So the idea of it is that uh, you have all of these different, well, the way that you win the game is you're essentially building these weapons uh, and you're using them to defend a town from monsters. So when you're assembling, when you're starting up the game to play, you have like all of these different monster decks. But they're not just monster decks because they also contain like the the weapons and the enchantments that you're going to use. So you might have one deck of uh, cultists, and you might have another deck of unicorns, and you shuffle them together, and then you lay them out, and that's essentially uh, the way that you set up the game. It's really as simple as like you shuffle decks together and you're ready to play. So the idea of the game is that you have a tableau laid out in front of you uh, where the card closest to town is free to take. And then every card past that costs an additional crystal. So the idea of it is that you are adventuring out from town and the further you want to go, the more money you have to pay. Uh, and on the trail, will be either a weapon, like a scimitar, or an enchantment, like of gold. So if you pick up the scimitar, and then you pick up the gold enchantment, you will then have the scimitar of gold. And as you buy another card, let's say you buy a longsword, then you'll have the longsword of gold. So essentially what you're doing is you're continually iterating and, mo and modifying your weapon uh, to sort of give you different win conditions and to give you different like bonuses and different uh, obstacles to go over. And the different decks all have a specific theme to them. 
So the bandit deck is all based around uh, gold and gold generation and spending gold to do more damage and also keeping gold so that at the end of the game, you get more victory points. So they sort of create these trade-offs of if you have gold at the end of the game, some of these bandit cards will give you extra victory points. However, with some of these bandit cards, if you spend gold, you'll get temporary buffs to your damage or your defense. So one of the things that's really cool is the way that they mix and match um, with the other decks and also the ways that um, you can sort of mess with enemies based on their strategies. Uh, so an example of this is there is a deck called Golems that is all based on essentially taking the top card. Your your. So I guess another thing that I didn't explain is that when you uh, pick up a weapon and you already have a weapon, you're putting that weapon over the previous one so that only part of the previous weapon is showing. So if you have a scimitar or something, it might say like two attack on the top and on the bottom, it might say one attack. So together the card gives you three attack, but once you put another card over it, you're covering the top of it. So only the bottom is visible which means now that card is still giving you one attack, even though you've put another weapon over it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So there are mechanics in the game where you're actually moving cards to the top or the bottom of your stack. So essentially you're like manipulating items. So like one card will be like, as soon as you get this, bury it. So what you do is you put it to the bottom of your weapon of your weapon or your enchantment stack, and then there will be other cards uh, which will essentially allow you to unbury, and if you're able to do it, they become very strong. Uh, but what's cool is that there are certain decks like Golems, which are all based on burying, and then there are decks like the Troglodytes, which are all based on unburying. So you get a very different game if you combine those two things together. In a way that's a little bit more easier to understand, there's a deck called Cultists, which are all based on like self-harm and like dealing damage to yourself to get benefits. And then there are decks like uh, the Unicorns, which are all based on healing. So if you're playing those two decks together, you can sort of more liberally self-damage yourself because you know that there are heals coming. Uh, and if you're playing Cultists without Unicorns, it's a totally different game uh, because you have to weigh the... Uh, the cost versus the benefit a lot differently. But it's really neat and it's really easy to play. Uh, the theme is good, the uh, components are nice, and the Overlord's expansion is really cool because it adds this extra dimension of there's always like this sort of big, big baddie that instead of going out on a journey, you can pay a cost and try to fight the Overlord, uh, which depending on the Overlord you pick, of which there are many, uh, you can get some different benefits and some different rewards. I can't wait to see that. Great filler and also just a cool game to play back to back. Did you say how long it takes? Uh, well, it scales with the amount of players you have. I would say that if, if you wanted to play two players, uh, two, two, uh, 30 minutes. If you want to play uh, three players, 45 minutes by default. But you can also, uh, they include variants of the game, which allow you to uh, shorten the time of it. So you could actually play like a three-player game in around like 20 to 25 minutes if you're playing the reduced time variant. What else you got? Ryan, those are, those are all the games I've got. And it's been like two hours. Well, there you go. Take us away! WTDGpodcast.com is where you can see this podcast. What's the deal with games on well, iTunes I don't know if you could see it, but... Other- 
You sure can. You can see the picture. There's a picture, and it's great. What what would this podcast be like if you had synesthesia, and you could you could listen to this podcast? What what colors would we be? Red. I think brown. Red and brown. Yeah, like but 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 muted red and brown. So continue. I'm sorry to derail you. Rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. Thank you, Ryan Galloway, crying for the use of your music. We use the intro and outro revive off the old album Beyond the Fleeting Gales. You can find them at the Rump Cover Bandcamp. Uh, they are no longer together, um, unfortunately, but we look forward to whatever Ryan Galloway does. Um, and uh, I think that's the uh, jam. And I just don't know if we have it yet. What is our our sign out in 2019? Did we not? I feel like we had something. No, I didn't. I don't know if we had anything yet. I thought we didn't have anything yet. We've only done like one podcast. Did you get that podcast up, by the way? The uh, the uh, board game one, this the part two. When did it? When did you put it out? Because I, I don't. See I thought it on I did drive. put it out. Okay, maybe I haven't. I don't see it on the drive. All right, I'll get. I'll take a look at that. We what's need the, a sign off. What's the sign out, Mason? Hmm. I'll have to think about that. For now, we just don't have it. <laughs> All right, we just don't have it. That's always good.